everybody, and welcome back to the Legal Weekly Wine, where we discuss the week's hottest legal topics. On tap this week, we have got to talk about the defamation trial against Trump by E. Jean Carroll. This is the second one. Last year, you may remember there was one, and there's a question of what in the world is the difference? What's the difference between last year's trial and this year's trial? And what interesting things are happening in the courtroom between um, Donald Trump himself as well as his attorney? So that's one topic. We've got another defamation topic this week of a man who is suing multiple women, I think up to 27 women, um, who have been writing about him online and sharing their stories about... um, um, apparently, they're, they're possible romantic activities. That's an interesting question for us. We want to do an update on the caucuses. Um, we knew they were coming. This week is exactly when they have hit. So the caucuses, where the state stand, um, where the country stands in terms of who's left in the presidential running and where uh, where we go from here. Um We've also got another quick update or two, one on Uvalde um, and also on Chevron regarding um, some some interesting case law that's being created or affirmed right now on that. So that is where we are headed. Stay tuned if you're interested in any of those subjects. And happy MLK Day. It is not technically MLK Day right now. We are in the week for MLK, but we do want to recognize the extreme significance and importance that Martin Luther King had on the civil rights movement, as well as on the continuing growth of our country and the continuing dreams um, to which we all aspire. So Welcome, everybody. I'm Virginia Tarani. I'm with Tarani Law LLC because you never need a lawyer. Tell you do. And uh, with me, we actually have, welcome back, Chelsea Rogers. You have not been with us for a while, but she's our co-host and she is now an attorney, Bard in Maryland. So congratulations. Welcome back. And she has also joined Tarani Law. So welcome, Chelsea. Thanks. So glad to be back. Glad to have you. And as always, we have our other co-host, Dr. John Vile from Middle Tennessee State University. He is the dean of the Honors College there, as well as a, a renowned expert on the Constitution, the amending process, and constitutional law. Good to have you, too. Good to be here. Excellent. Okay, so we're going to talk about the wine briefly because it is the weekly wine. Um, I know we have each brought a drink um, yes, Dr. Vile has his Pepsi. <laughs> Apparently, the campus is a Pepsi Send drinking royalties, camp. royalties, <laughs> please. Pepsi-Cola. That's right. We're promoting without royalties at the moment. Um, <laughs> Three carton would be appreciated. Six pack. <laughs> that, you know, that would be nice. We'd love for people to send us. And send us wine that you'd like us to try. Or at least a suggestions of the wines that you like. We're pulling ones that, that we like and want to try. Um, I am doing today, it's a beautiful bottle. Um, i got to find the front of it. It's a J. Lore Bay Mist White Riesling 2022. Beautiful bottle. Um, it is more of a dry Riesling than I am used to. I like the very sweet ones, but those of you who have been watching us for a while know that. Um, but it's still a lovely taste. It's a little bit dry, um, but it's refreshing. It's nice. It's kind of more for the summer than the winter. Chelsea, what are you drinking? I have my tried and true classic Franzia box wine, a uh, chillable red. If you're interested, it's on sale at every local grocer. Um, <laughs> not sure if you can even find this in a wine store to be quite honest, but I like it. It's a good standby. It really exactly. is. Well, cheers to everyone. Happy MLK day and off we go. Okay. So, um, as we normally do, um, we do talk about the hottest weekly topics and we continue (laughs) to have Trump somewhere in our hottest legal topics. 
We do try to separate a little bit of the politics versus the legal stuff, but ultimately, as we're finding out very quickly um, through these last few months, it's hard to separate the two. Um, They're very, very closely linked, especially when it comes to Donald Trump. Um, So let's get Dr. Violet. Virginia, may I interrupt a minute? Yes, please. So what is, I I like what your segue here is that Trump is making, is using cases for political purposes. So who in American history did the best job at a trial of elevating his stature and his case almost to sainthood? even though it resulted in his death. In his death? Yes. Because I was thinking of the, the monkey trial trials. resulted in capital punishment. And he showed more dignity during his trial and execution than he did in his entire life. Why don't I know this? Well, surely you do. Okay. There Pottawatomie, was... Kansas. Does that give you a clue? It should. It Emerson really sh- and Thoreau. Does that give you a clue? It doesn't. Harper's Ferry, Virginia. Yes, now West Virginia. Harper's Ferry does. Um, John, uh, what's his name? Yes. Okay, so I'm finally getting there. Harper's okay, Ferry his has body got me. lies moldering in the grave. Yes, it does, and I've been there several times. Um, okay. What John was Brown's the, body. There we go. John Brown, <laughs> okay. yes, the riots, right, or the the. Well, he, he made an assault on the, on, on the arsenal at Harper's Ferry that resulted in the death of a number of his sons and his capture. When he was brought to trial, uh, he basically quoted from the Bible and mm-hmm. acted like a saint, as he did in this execution. He, he, he acted in a very dignified fashion, and that raised the ante on, you know, it made him look like a martyr, mm. even though, I mean, he was, he was engaged in insurrection quite clearly. Right. He had hoped that that the insurrection would lead to a slave revolt. Right. Uh, and, of course, it, it, it did not, at least not, not then. But it, it certainly contributed to the Civil War. And sort of a, a trivial fact, that a lot of people, the Union soldiers, were singing John Brown's body, Liza Moldering in the Grave and whatever. And how oh. uh, was it? Um, heard them singing and she was there with a pastor doing something in, in DC and somebody said, well, can't you come up with, you know, something more uplifting and edifying than that? And, and she came up with the battle hymn of the Republic. Uh, so it grew out of that, that controversy. Oh, wow. Well, I think that's highly appropriate for the, the Martin Luther well, King it day is. and week. It certainly is. Yes. Huh. Okay, I appreciate that. I'm glad you interrupted me, and that was extremely interesting. I didn't know that. I feel like I just learned so much so quickly. I did. Yes, me too. So with your informative nature right now, Dr. Vile, what I'd love for you to do is give us an update on the caucuses that we had been waiting for. for Caucus, right. Okay, so first, first event of the primary season is almost always the Iowa caucus, Mm -hmm. and Trump Blew it out of the water. Yes. Uh, there really wasn't, it, I don't think the Democrats caucused. I, I could be wrong on that. Looks looks like a pretty sure thing for Biden right now. Uh, but Trump got over 50%. Uh, DeSantis came in with about 20, if I were 18 to 20. Uh, Haley was right behind him. Chris Christie has dropped out of the race. Since this, Ramaswamy has dropped out of the race and endorsed Trump. Right. Uh, Asa Hutchison, who was sort of the little asterisk or footnote 
uh, picked up a couple hundred votes, uh, uh, anti-Trumper, uh, also dropped out. So that leads us to Tuesday, which will be the first primary. Now, it's a little tricky because for the Democrats, they wanted the first primary to be South Carolina. So the Democrats are not officially listed. Uh, President Biden has said he wouldn't be on the ballot, uh, but he's still hoping for a strong write-in. And which uh, you know, state is a, this in? A, there's a Phillips who's who's contesting it. Right. Uh, and if, you know, it, it, strange things can happen in New Hampshire. Uh, 1968, uh, Eugene McCarthy, or no, what, what, ni- yeah, 1968, Eugene McCarthy challenged uh, Lyndon Johnson and came mm. in a very strong second, and Johnson eventually dropped out. Uh, the, the odd thing about Iowa, Iowa is not, you know, DeSantis spent, he went to all 99 counties in, in Iowa. Wow. He put all his eggs in that basket and came in second, but he's so far behind. So and the far person second. next to him is so close that it probably hasn't helped him very, uh, very much. But with the, the irony here is you have a state, it's predominantly white. It's not as rural as it used to be, but there are a lot of rural counties. Farm uh, communities. And you have approximately a little over 100,000 people showed up to this to these caucuses and they showed up amid, you know, snow and cold weather and, Mm -hmm. you know, walk in the park for most Iowans, but still, (laughs) you know, pretty cold. Um, And so on the basis of this, everyone is now saying Trump's Trump's the sure winner. Uh, Everybody else ought to drop out. So he has approximately fifty thousand votes, huh. uh, and we're ma- we're ready to call it quits. Now, two candidates—I mean, two other candidates—are are hoping, you know. And um, one of uh, Haley seems to have a little bit. Haley has invested quite a bit of time and money in New Hampshire, right. so she came in a strong second. Uh, it could help her. Then it's on to South Carolina. The problem there is. Uh, South Carolina, she was governor, so you'd expect her to win, but the polls say that Donald Trump is winning. Trump clearly has a hold, you might say a stranglehold, uh, on the Republican Party. Um, And the irony is the voters don't seem to care that Trump is being sued, that he has possible criminal liability. You know, will they change their mind if he actually loses a criminal indictment, perhaps, but it looks like in addition to making trials sort of a grandstanding, it looks like his primary strategy right now is delay, delay, delay. Yeah. Uh, delay and hope that he'll become president and he can either fire the people in the Justice Department, and I can't fire the people at the state level, Right. Uh, but, you know, fire them or pardon himself, or even if you can't do that, some people who would say he's amenable to criminal process might say, but not maybe while he's president. Uh, maybe at the very least he could get uh, a delay. So a lot of a lot of working uh, parts here won't be too long. I think early March to a so-called Super Tuesday, right? Uh, when you have a lot of states, and you know, often the the contest is pretty much over by then or or shortly thereafter. So. We will see. Yeah. Well, I, I'm going to say something I've said on the show before. I never thought 
in, in however many decades I've been alive, um, that I would actually be excited for the caucuses, that I would be excited for Super Tuesday, that I would be up and watching them, that I be, would be watching any of the debates. Um, but for those of you who don't know, Dr. Vile is my father um, and loves political science, has his PhD okay, in it. accuse me of child abuse I, here. In addition, <laughs> are you, you going to tell about how many flea markets I dragged you to or how many debates I made too. you listen to? <laughs> I think the statute of limitations has passed. Um, okay, but, <laughs> good, good. but truly growing up, I mean, how many we, unlike other children, we sat in front of the TV and watched it all. And I cannot tell you how many times it's like, Oh, I have to watch these again. And, and now I'm in part of my life going, what is, what is this crazy change? I'm actually looking forward to it. I'm turning it on voluntarily. No one's making me look at this. So it's, it's a huge shift, really big shift. So from there, let's change over. Chelsea, I want to switch to you. Um, we've got the update on the caucuses. So now let's talk about the defamation trial. So you and I spoke last year about the original defamation trial um, that E. Jean Carroll was bringing against Donald Trump, claiming um, that he had defamed her by saying that he hadn't raped her, um, calling her a whack job, multiple things. And that was from 2022 comments. Um, the, the jury found him liable. They fixed damages, I think at 10 million, um, in damages. It was a lot. I don't remember exactly. Yeah, but it was a lot. For, for her reputation, basically yeah. what, what you're claiming in a defamation trial is you have said lies about me. Mm -hmm. And because of these lies, my reputation has been damaged so much that I can't get a job, that I, you know, this is what's happened in the community. I can no longer show my face. Here are the type of calls that I've been getting. So give us an update on what's happening with this trial versus what was going on with last year. Well, see, okay, there's a lot with this one. And so now we are my understanding, and correct me if I'm explaining this incorrectly, is that he continued to make the same comments, right? So the comments for the original trial were from 2022. Yeah. Um, then we had that verdict and that judgment um, and find of liability. And he just was like, okay, let me double down. I'm just going to continue to do, um, continue to defame her essentially, right? Mm -hmm. We've heard that this is defamation. He continued to, to make the same kind of you can hear my little puppies click clacking in the background. I'm so sorry. We love sorry. the puppies. It's okay. <laughs> Just wandering around. Um, but what I think is interesting about this one um, is maybe not the legal issue at hand, but the, the attorney here is, um, I mean, we all know Donald Trump has his courtroom antics, but this attorney, y'all, <laughs> I truly have never in my life been so embarrassed on the behalf of someone else. Like I, we were talking about it. My face was getting red. I'm cringing internally because the judge has it, admonished her, scolded her, told her to go back to school. I am so embarrassed. It, it is, it is true. So yes. Yeah, so what we're dealing with exactly is we've taken, so last year was regarding 2022 statements. This one is weird. It's combining, it's technically about 2019 statements where we're taking, she published a book and within a month he began making statements contrary to the book's allegations. Right. Um, but what they're using 
in addition to the 2019 claims is his current claims. So even in the opening statements, they're talking about, well, here's what Trump has said just this Tuesday. (laughs) So they're bringing in current statements. And and ultimately, the judge in the trial, by summary judgment, decided, Mm -hmm. yes, these are fraudulent statements. These are defamatory statements. He has made false claims about her. So technically, right now, it's just about damages. But the Mm -hmm. most interesting issues in this case like you're saying, are the attorney for Trump. She's providing the most interesting, odd things that are happening, as well as Donald Trump's behavior, too. So you're talking about some of this cringeworthy behavior as attorneys. Looking at it, I I never thought I would feel sorry for Donald Trump in any way. And but, it is, but is it possible now? You, you're better attuned to. I, I was not aware really of the attorney business here, but is it possible that the attorney is doing exactly what Trump wants him to wants her to do? Yes and no. I, I mean, you still might have a legal yeah. obligation, you know, to to rise above that. Um, but you know, and maybe you know, if if she is in fact repeating the kind of defamation that he's been making, maybe he likes that. Well, uh, I mean, I don't yes. know, but yes and no. So yes, in terms of some of the things that are happening, some of the things that she is saying, I believe probably are instigated by Donald Trump. So for instance, Absolutely. Chelsea, you'll remember this one specifically is they had a hearing to try to delay the trial. <laughs> I see your face already. I know because it's so embarrassing. And so she asked, based on his mother-in-law's death and the funeral that was upcoming, um, is she asked, you know, can we delay this? And he already overruled her motion. And there was, so then she asked again. And this is probably where we're getting, he would prefer that she ask, right? That she asked again. Um, But... There was a specific statement, and I've um, here it is. So she asks, and Dr. Vile, this is where I think you are with what she would be doing on his behalf. Haber requested an adjournment. Again, this is prior to her te- Carol's testimony, so that Trump could attend his mother-in-law's funeral. And this is what the judge says: the application is denied. I will hear no further argument on it. None. Do you understand that word? None, please sit down. And that's how he addressed the attorney. Uh, Look, I've had enough. Does this have something to do with the fact that he was able to find time to go to Iowa? What do you think, Chelsea? I mean, is, is that part of it? I think that is the correct take here. I absolutely think that's part of it. Um yeah, yeah. I think that's the undertone here, even though it wasn't said directly. I absolutely agree. And he also is under no obligation to be there, right? Correct. In a civil trial? That is correct. Under uh, You technically don't have to in either civil or criminal, but it's much worse if you don't for a criminal. There's no obligation or requirement at all for a civil one. He did not show up to the one last year. No, to he, that one he, he didn't come to. at all. Mm-hmm. He, he was gone. They played parts of his deposition in the trial, right. but he did not testify. He didn't even sit at counsel table. This so year, he's what do chosen you think to. The, what, what do you think the ratio is going to be here between compensatory and punitive? Because yeah. this is behavior that obviously, it, you know, if they define, if they have concluded that it's defamation, they obviously don't want it to continue. Correct. Um, 
I, I think her, uh, Carol's attorney was on, no, Carol's expert witness was testifying something like eight to $10 million in damages to she, uh, today, reputation, yeah. jobs, and whatever. But one would think that maybe the punitive could be, which to me, that seems like a large figure. Now, I'm not an attorney, so maybe it's not. But if you added punitive damages to that, it certainly could be fairly substantial. It absolutely could. And I think that's the key here is how much will the, the compensatory is how do we compensate her for her losses, for her reputation, for the job she lost, for the trouble that she's had versus the punitives, which are how do we make this stop? How do we make him stop saying these things? And I I honestly think they're going to. I think they're going to include punitives. I don't know if there's, honestly, based on the, the New York law, I don't know if there's a cap on the punitive damages. There are in many states. Um, so I don't know if there's only so much he can get, but I would not be surprised if they give him the max of punitive damages in addition to compensatory because it he even is showing during trial, he's making comments that no regular defendant would be able to make. And so what's happening is his testimony, he's not testified yet. He's just been sitting there and you're not supposed to during a trial and, and Chelsea knows where I'm headed. You're not the defendant or the plaintiff, whichever party it is, they have the right to sit, sit at counsel table with their attorneys, but their attorneys are the ones who speak and they have certain times when they can speak and certain times when they can't speak, especially in front of a jury. And what has been happening is Donald Trump has been making statements out loud while he's at counsel table that the jury is hearing um, certain statements of this is all a con, um, this I'm being railroaded, something to the effect. I know he said this is a witch hunt. I was about to say it's the witch hunt. It's always the witch hunt. Mm -hmm. And he's making these comments where the jury can hear. And it's not like he's testifying. He's just making these comments in the hearing of the jury. And he's been told by the judge, you cannot do this. You, you can't say anything. And I'm trying to find... Um, well, the judge actually said, you know, you don't seem to have any self-control. I feel like ordering you out. And Trump said something to the effect of, I wish you would. That's and the I thing think I want. And I if I had been the judge, I probably at that point would have pointed to the door. Let, so let me bring in something else here, Please. Virginia, which I don't think we've touched on before. But since we met last time, Trump has lost a $400,000 suit for legal right. fees in a suit that he brought against the New York Times and reporters there. That's correct, and, and it, that's been under the radar. Right. I mean, but it's 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 a good, you know, it's a First Amendment case. They basically have been conducting, well, they were the ones who reveal some of his income tax records, and they, mm -hmm. the, the claim is that he had been defamed or whatever in the process. And the, the judge basically not only threw the case out, but said, you're going to have to pay for the attorneys for all of these people. Right. And that's not normal. Um, it, yeah. it takes a lot in a case for attorney's fees to be awarded to the other side. Um, a lot. It's usually some kind of contempt issue, um, some kind of behavior or motions that are outside of the bounds of normal decency and behavior for attorneys. Uh, look, you never should have brought this lawsuit, so now you have to pay for them defending it. Um, so it is significant. It's a more significant case than I think many people and reporters have given credit to it.
Um, and I think it's bleeding over here. Um, I believe this attorney is possibly involved, was involved in that as well. She Um, at least has been in the New York fraud trial. She was part of his counsel team. Yes. Okay. Maybe that's the one I'm thinking of, but yes, I think she's has been involved in a couple of these, but maybe she should stick to some of the cases she's uh, more competent for. I truly think that there's a competency issue with her skills in representing him in this trial. It is a good question. And that brings up a huge topic is in representing clients, whether it's the president or, you know, a regular person, what is the level of competence and due diligence they have to have? Should you have someone who has done multiple trials? And from what the, the reporters are saying and what seems to be eking, you know, kind of siphoning itself into this trial, I'm not using the best phraseology, is it does not appear that she has as much experience with trials as a prosecutor would or a defense attorney. Um, her Or anyone who's not being told by the judge to go back to evidence 101. I'm sorry, that is, if you're not, if you don't understand how to introduce evidence, you don't understand how to impeach a witness, that is like a first semester of a trial ad class. That is insane to not be able to do that competently in court and then represent someone, especially the former president. And that just doesn't to, make sense. Something to keep in mind here. Trump has a reputation, deserved or not, for not always paying his attorneys oh, promptly. That's fair. Mm. And true. there are a lot of people who, you know, his political star may be rising, but his legal star mm. seems to be in decline. And it may be a little bit hard for him to get attorneys with the competence that he would like. Uh, I mean, would you, you know, would you want to represent a client that may, you know, yeah. Acted out in court, you know that's sort yeah. of a nightmare. I, I no matter how much they pay you, and that's the thing is, I, I mean, how many trials have I? I can't count the hundreds of trials I've been in and and done. And hey, mock trials to, don't count. They don't. It's not even just. I mean, let's add on. I think another. a mock trial student could do better. <laughs> truly, and that's that's true. Is because some of the things they're saying is it's courtroom decorum. Is she's not standing yeah. when she's supposed to be standing. Um, she's not. She was told there was a, an objection sustained. She didn't heed it. So he's like, this is sustained. You need to sit back down. So things that a, a, an a initial attorney, a new attorney would be know about, when to sit, when to stand, yes. when to be quiet. But honestly, for having a client in the courtroom is very hard and very tricky. Even if someone in the balcony, so to speak, yells out, the judge will say there is no comment Nothing yeah. can be done. If I had a comment, I've had very few, but there have been across the 18 years, I can think of two clients I've had that actually spoke out during a jury trial. And the first comment made to me by a judge was, Miss Tarani, control your client. Get control of your client. And in this case, what's happening is Trump has made these repeated statements. And quite honestly, plaintiff's counsel could move for a mistrial. For- I'm surprised they haven't. True, I mean, truly, just the, I just can't even fathom it. Like the complete, I mean, the attorney has done things inappropriately in front of the jury. The client has done things inappropriately in front of the jury. How is, this is a show. This is, but, but, you know, grab some popcorn. This is not a, a, an appropriate legal proceeding. But that should work to the plaintiff's defense. And what what she's already been through, this is a second defamation trial, mm-hmm. She doesn't have an incentive probably to have to go through it again. 
Very true. And that's, I think, what's happening on the plaintiff side is there is the calculation, well, I probably could get a mistrial because technically this is improper persuasion of the jury, improper prejudice of the jury by a client. Um, But do I really want one? Do I want to have to go through? Do I want to have to choose another jury? Um, Try this again. Um, But what the judge said, which I, I think is very interesting because he was not Test, he was not at present at trial on Thursday, and there's no court on Friday. So the question is, will he testify on Monday? And how far will he go in his statements on Monday? And the judge has said, if you cannot control yourself, I don't want to remove you, but I will. Yeah. And in the case law, you know, Dr. Vile, you even know of how many cases are out there where you do not have the right to be there. So you can be removed by the judge if right. you cannot control yourself in well, a courtroom. And and he's still under, Trump is still under a gag order. That's an important Jack point. Smith indictment, and that was upheld, if I remember this last week. Yes, so, that, what a yeah. huge legal legal issue that happened this week that also was under the radar. Yes, the gag order is still present. So he's in another New York court. He's still, you know, he still can't talk about certain people and certain things. So yes. Um, I, I think it's also one of the other things I definitely wanted to mention, especially on Chelsea's um, on Chelsea's points about the attorney um, is, yeah, he he was chiding her for, you know, you need to understand how to refer, you need to refresh your memory about how to get a document into evidence. Um, he denied her request for a mistrial based on deleted evidence. I, I mean, there's many things of, yeah, and he said the jury will disregard everything she has just said. I I do have a hard time thinking <laughs> what I, I would not want such an attorney. Um, and this is where I go back to, it's the one time I felt sorry for Mr. Trump, for Donald Trump is, you know, it doesn't seem like he has, I think she's well-intentioned, extremely well-intentioned. I think she has the head knowledge for it. Um, I think she's made some great arguments in the New York fraud trial, but at least in this particular trial, the actual trial advocacy and trial procedure seems to be eluding her more than many attorneys who would have more courtroom experience than she has had. And the practical hands-on. One of the things that I found interesting, and I don't know if they've done it yet, but apparently the judge has ruled that the, and I'm going to get the wrong name, Access Hollywood, that the the Trump's rather bawdy comments to Bush um, that were later broadcast, that they can be broadcast in the court as an indicate or played in the court as an indication of his attitude generally toward women and toward sexual harassment. Okay. And I found that a little, uh, I don't know, disconcerting. I guess I was a little surprised by it. Uh, because it, it 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 wouldn't seem directly to bear on what he did or didn't do or say about her, but it does provide something of a context. I guess it's almost like the what is it the habit exception that if you yes. can show that someone regular. So I don't know if it comes under that exception or something else, but I found it an interesting development. It absolutely is. And it's definitely interesting. I think it's more allowable because there's not an issue of did he defame her or not, because that's already been settled. 
Right. And he's not allowed in speaking toward your, your point here. He's not even allowed to say, I didn't do it. He's prohibited from saying it. He can't say I didn't sexually assault her. I didn't rape her. It's not my DNA. He cannot say any of that. He can only defend on how badly it hurt her or did not hurt her. Um, And I think that's why these issues are coming up where the judge can say, look, you can look not just to how he's, you know, casting her, what light he's casting her in, but also how he's portraying other women and then how she gets lumped into this as yet another woman, how he looks upon women in general. Mm-hmm. how he treats them, how he acts toward them, which I think is why the current statements are also coming in of look at his attitude in general. Look I at think it's almost like MO. Saying. It's like, you mm-hmm. know, in a criminal trial, if you have a, a, you know, a criminal who does the same thing over and over and over that you can get in evidence that you might not otherwise be able to, because it's so indicative of their style of behaving, I guess there's a better way to phrase it. No, that's and good. Fifty percent of the good Republicans in Iowa want him to be the next president. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and and it is hard to believe because of of some of the very vulgar statements he's made. As a woman, it's very offensive, even though I'm not involved at all. Um, it is very cringeworthy to hear these. It's it's demeaning even to an outside female who has no relationship at all with Donald Trump or, you know, right on his radar. Um, so I, I think it definitely is going toward the punitives of because he cannot stop saying these types of things about women. And now this specific woman, what are we going to make him pay to try to get him to stop? What is that worth? And I think that's where it goes is that punitive damage bucket versus the compensatory bucket. Yeah, um, I think that makes a lot of sense. Okay, so, so Chelsea had another libel case, right, that I don't know anything yes. about. Yes. So. This is so silly. I, I truly think this is frivolous and silly, but since we're on the topic, okay. Defamation. Y'all are defamation and I, okay. You're so So cute. there's this thing <laughs> on Facebook, you know, Facebook groups, right? It's very, very common. I'm in a couple in my location. It's, are we dating the same guy? Facebook groups. And only say whatever your city is. Are we dating the same guy? You know, DC, are we dating the same guy? Alexandria type of, type of content. And then you add in women from the area who are on dating apps and they will put a picture of those men, usually with like a little T emoji or like a red flags, question mark emoji. And then women who have had experiences with these men can share their experiences. Oh, you know, he was a great, we went on a date. He was a great guy. We didn't really have a connection, but have a great time. Or, oh my gosh, here's his criminal record and pictures of his mugshot. It can kind of go (laughs) both ways. So a Chicago man has sued 27 women, um, for comments that were made in one of these groups. Um, in one of these Facebook groups in Chicago, um, he is sued for $75 million. Um, and maybe my tolerance for this type of um, conversation is higher than his. My feelings wouldn't be hurt. They said that he would ghost people, you know, just disappear. Um, that he would, <laughs> that he was clingy, a little psycho, I think, were a couple of the comments. But um, he has said this was defamatory and... I don't know if he understands the difference between an opinion and a fact, but I think the federal judge is going to help him figure that out very quickly. 
And that, that's a good point is there's a difference for defamation. You can't lie about people. But what is the difference between opinion and fact when it comes to defamation? And either of you can answer. <laughs> well, maliciousness, right? I mean, it's part of it. Uh, knowing if you're spreading something that you is, I'm using the New York Times case, which is for public <laughs> figures, but if you if you knowingly spread falsehoods, <laughs> you know he stood me up and he didn't stand you up, or uh, you know, or if you do it with no regard to the truth or falsity of the statements that you're making, you know, maliciousness. Uh, and it doesn't sound like I mean it. It all it's a different generation. It all sounds sort of silly to me. Uh, I agree. Went you know, no, I thought I went thousand. I wouldn't agree. have been this on Facebook. Absurd. I wouldn't have never found it in the first place. So <laughs> you can say right. what you want about me, and it's probably near right over the hit top. But but Chelsea, with you, it's you know, to what point does an opinion seem like fact? And if it's a fact, then sure, it's defamatory. If like Dr. Vile, you're yes. saying it's untrue. But what do you think these were? They seem more like opinions with these words. So that's what I'm saying, because, you know, the ultimate defense to defamation is the truth, right? That you right. prove that they are lying, they're saying something that is untrue. And so, so I'm looking at a lot of the comments that were mentioned. Um, you know, he ghosts. Well, what do we consider ghosting? Define ghosting. Prove that you didn't ghost. Um, don't really think that's going anywhere. You know, what is clingy? If we're using these, like, adjectives, essentially, that's not a provable fact. Now, if they said right. he has a criminal record. And he doesn't. Okay, that is it. That is a different conversation. Classic being, defamation. Yes, exactly. But being mischaracterized, um, I don't really think they can do this, and it doesn't seem intentionally malicious. And just on my own personal two cents, I think if there are twenty-seven women saying these <laughs> things about you, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna say there's probably some truth to it. I don't think it gives out very like healthy, balanced individual to file a federal lawsuit because 27 women said you were a creep. I'm sorry. Like, I believe them. I just Maybe you're them. creepy. And maybe he has a commitment problem or maybe he <laughs> right. really isn't looking for a long-term relationship. If I there mean, are 27, right? Just speculating, right. By sheer numbers, is he not proving his point? I, I, I don't know. I don't. I also don't know if I'd get on, because they have been doing the news circuits. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know. Um if I would get on the news particularly and tell everyone that almost 30 women think I'm creepy, I don't think it's going to bode well for his dating going forward. You don't forward. think they're going to recruit him for The Bachelor? <laughs> uh -huh. Oh, God. No, <laughs> 27 women. Let's line him up. They have, the whole, they have the whole cast already. They have all the women and the guy. There we go. I like it. <laughs> and they're hooking up with each other instead of him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> so, legal news, you know, we have very serious um, defamation suits with a, a former president. And we also have a guy whose feelings are hurt. So very important cases in our, you know, federal courts right now. Yes. There is a very important case this week. Is this Chevron? We're headed to Chevron. Well, yes. we, if, if you're if you're ready to go. We there. are ready. Yes. So it's Fisher versus United States. And I'll just and I have not read I did not get to listen to this argument I'm more interested in what it says about a previous case than I am this case. Mm -hmm. But I will say that on the surface, these people seem to have a case. Mm -hmm. They're fishermen, uh, small businessmen, we would say. 
and I don't know if it's the EPA or another governmental agency, but this agency has decided, well, they're subject as fishermen to restrictions on what they can catch and when they can do it. And so the agency has, as I understand it, placed federal agents on their boat at the cost of $700 a day and insisted that they have to pay for it. And they're doing it under administrative guidelines that have been issued. Um, Now, the guidelines, well, the law under which they're operating basically says, you know, you're going to have, we're going to have, you know, these limits on catches and you're subject to supervision and whatever. The law does not say that they have the power to put somebody on your boat and make you pay for it. Mm. And so they are questioning this. And there is a case, 1984, Chevron versus uh, Natural Resources Defense Council, which is sort of, and I do a lot more constitutional law than I do administrative law, but this has been the case in administrative law, which basically- For decades. Right, for a decade, well, right, since 1984. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even before that, I'm not sure that there probably wasn't a fair amount of deference exercise, but- Basically, the Chevron Doctrine says that if Congress adopts a law that is vague, then the court is generally going to defer to the administrative agency and their interpretation of the law. Mm. And Republicans, what's interesting is at the time Chevron was adopted, uh, there were many conservatives who actually liked the law because... Mm. It was during the, I believe it was during the Reagan administration. Yeah, 84. And Reagan was actually easing up on environmental protection. And so they said, well, this is good. Hmm. Um, now there is, and, and there there is a concern here. You know, you go back to the, the tripartite structure of government. Right. Congress makes the laws, president enforces it, courts interpret, interpret it. So the question is, who's making the law here? Mm. Well, Congress has passed the law, but, you know, they've delegated, they've left it so vague that if you leave it just to administrators, are they going to give due process? Are they Mm. going to know the procedures? Now, that being said, we had a time in our history known as the Lochner era, uh, primarily from early, late late 19th through 1937, well, a little bit before that. It's incredible that you know this. (laughs) Where the courts continually struck down economic legislation. And after the court packing plan was introduced by Roosevelt in 1937, uh, the court sort of backed off and said, when it comes to, uh, when it comes to economic issues, we're going to basically leave that to the judgment in this case of the president and the Congress. Now, what's tricky here is how accountable are these administrators to Congress? Mm. They're not. Are they just rogue agents, essentially? Right. Now, that being said, neither neither are federal judges. So the question is, which of these two groups is in the better? And and here's my guess as to what's going to happen. Okay. I love guesses. Okay, so my guess is that neither side is going to completely get what they want. Mm. That the court is going to say that the court is going to continue 
deference in most cases, and then they're going to do what the Caroline Products footnote did. Remember that famous footnote four? No. Okay. I can't so, say that. I, Chelsea, do okay. you? Yes. Justice I don't know Stone. why I know this, but as soon as you said it, I knew it was footnote four. No okay. idea where that You came know out. this? In the Caroline <laughs> Products case, when they basically said, we're not going to regulate the transport of fill milk. That's up to somebody else. Yeah. But this little footnote says, but there may be some cases where we would intervene. And the three cases were if it directly contradicts something in the Bill of Rights, oh, interesting. if it effectively affects discrete and insular minorities who can't take care of themselves, or if it affects a political process uh, adversely. And so my guess is, I mean, I have some, I have real sympathy here for the fishermen because it sounds, it almost sounds to me like a Fourth Amendment violation. A search you, and you're, seizure. You're, you're yeah. going to, I mean, you're being penalized seven hundred dollars a day for something to to make sure you don't do any wrong, and that seems to me to be so. Maybe there's some kind of little exception that the court can make that would say, you know, I mean, because, and I think it was Justice Kagan, I believe it was Kagan or Sotomayor, who said, hold on, if you reverse Chevron, mm. we're going to immediately be faced with a flood of thousands of cases right. that have come up since then. So my guess is we're going to come to some, we're going to give a little bit here. And one one possible solution, and I, I saw a hint of this in an article that I read, which is maybe if you're if you're going to have interpretations like this, they should have to be signed off on by someone directly appointed by and responsible to the president oh, rather than by civil servants mm. or uh, civil service people. So so that okay. you would have if you don't like, you know, a fisherman, you don't like the way this law is being enforced, then you take that to the ballot box. Uh, you write to your president, uh, whatever the executive authority is, and see it, you know, see if they can get it changed. And so that's my, you know, I think if I were on the court, I would be looking to move maybe to that, to that middle ground. It almost seems on a practical level, without knowing the full case law like the two of you do, um, I think I need to now flunk your cat class that I took decades ago <laughs> because I don't know about this footnote um, or don't recall it. But it, on a practical level, it seems like the easy answer, and I don't know how you would put the case law together to do it, but it's, it's like, okay, well, if you want them on the boat, put them at the boat, on the boat, but at your cost. Let's right. let's give a little bit of, you know, I don't want you here, but if you're going to be here, I don't want to pay for it. So if you really feel like you need to be here, then you pay for yourself to be here. Otherwise, wait and see if we make, you know, if we actually run afoul of the law. Well, I mean, to me, you know, as one who's written an encyclopedia on the Fourth Amendment, this seems like an unreasonable search and seizure where, <laughs> yes. you you know, you somebody breaks into you, without probable breaks cause. into your property. And then you have to pay them for the time that they spent conducting the search that for presumably isn't going to find anything because you're not going to do something illegal while they're there. True, yeah. right. Because uh, normally you would have to have probable cause for right. a search and seizure. And if there's and, and none... If, if we applied something like the footnote four here, if something is a direct 
threat to a specifically enumerated right in mm. the Bill of Rights, it would fall yes. under this. So, but but this is you know what's fascinating. So we we basically have I guess a f five four six three court depending on how you do it. You have three Trump appointees on the court and only one right. from Biden. Uh, only two I believe from uh, Obama. Obama. Mm -hmm. I could be wrong, but I know he was denied one of one of his. And you know conservatives have won at least temporarily in the Dobbs decision overturning Roe versus Wade. Right. And they've won on the affirmative action. Yes. Uh, which yeah. basically eliminates that as a consideration, at least in university admission. Yeah. And this would sort of be the trifecta. Mm -hmm. uh, if, you know, Republicans particularly are, and, and there's some reason to be, I mean, there's reason to be concerned about the administrative state right. if it is not accountable. And, you know, there's long been, there's a tension here that goes back to Teddy Roosevelt and Woodrow Wilson, mm. where... Mm -hmm. You know, the progressives used to, their attitude was, well, let's create these independent commissions. Let's let educated people administer the law without fear or favor. But the result often is that the people administering the law may not be accountable, yes. may not really understand the situation of the type of person that's being regulated. You know, seven day, $700 a day, well, that's no big deal if you're you know, you know, if you're running a if mega, a billion, yeah. yeah, running Exxon <laughs> or something. But if if you're if you're a fisherman, I suspect that that would cut into your profit margin uh, fairly much. Oh my goodness! If somebody so. put somebody in my law office and said you owe seven hundred dollars a day, I'm like I'm closing down my law office. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we're, you know, we're going to make payroll, but that's yeah. about it. Oh, goodness. Okay. No, that's that's fascinating. And I'm glad you were able to explain it because I have not been as up on this, this Chevron issue, which does seem much more monumental than it's being given credit for. That um, is the only thing I remember from my administrative law class is was that the footnote? Chevron. <laughs> well, no, that's from that's from con law. That's my con law okay. class. But no, you, that you must have had a better teacher than Virginia did. <laughs> No, but Chevron deference is the only thing I remember from from my first. It was my second semester of my one L year. My um, it was public law because it wasn't even a full administrative law class. Is the only thing I remember because that was what the whole class essentially focused on. Mm. Okay, so among the three of us, are we missing any hot legal topic well, of the week? Th there is another one. All right, I, I hesitate to bring it up because I don't know that much about it, and Let's I honestly do don't know. I don't know the truth of the matter, oh. but Fonnie Willis, yes, who okay. has been leading the racketeering case in Georgia, racketeering, right? Yes, against Trump, a criminal trial in Georgia, mm -hmm. one for which, if if he were to lose, he can't be pardoned because it's a it's a state, state. offense. Mm -hmm. um, the allegation is that one of the lead prosecutors that she has hired <laughs> is in fact a lover, and I don't know I don't know if that. I don't know if that's true, right? and I don't know if it would be legally prohibited. I mean, you might hire, but but it's it sort of smell. It, it doesn't pass smell the bad. smell test, does it? If, uh, if it's true, it apparently, smells bad. Apparently, now, she, her claim, and I don't think she's denied, I don't think she's denied or affirmed that they've been on trips together and that sort of thing. But her claim is, well, he's getting the same money that the other, I think, two other prosecutors are getting. So 
he's been given no special favor. But critics say, hold on, this guy, you know, you hired somebody who's never had a, and again, I'm not positive of the truth of right. this. Yeah. So this is the allegation. On it. But they're saying he's never, he's never done a prior criminal case. Uh, why would you have hired this person if there were not some kind of romantic attachment? Uh, and so yeah. it's, you know, I think to this point, Willis has done a pretty good job of, I mean, she's gotten some witnesses to flip, right. uh, seems to be gathering evidence. Uh, this is the first thing I know of that sort of calls her prosecutorial uh, judgment, I guess, into question. Uh, and it does, you know, it, it certainly seems like a diversion. Uh, and again, it is possible that the the ultimate outcome will be, uh, well, I just didn't say anything, but no, it's not true. Uh, you know, he made it up. Maybe she'll be, maybe she'll be filing a defamation suit on top, <laughs> or, 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 right. or you know, maybe the maybe the prosecutor will. But but it's it's sort of a disturbing, you know, you you yeah. don't. It, it's similar. You know, the other case that we haven't mentioned is is the main Supreme Court decided, yes. or whichever court it was, the main court that that heard the case of the Secretary of State taking Trump's name off the ballot. I th- was it the Secretary or Attorney General? I can't remember. I'm sorry. Whichever one it was. Right. Well, you might be right. an attorney if you're, wh- whichever it is, I believe it's the Secretary of State, but w- whether it's whatever, they had withheld his name for temporarily, at least from the ballot. And part of his argument in this case is that she was prejudiced against him. Mm-hmm. And frankly, the court, and what happened when it got to the main court, the main court said, well, we're not going to deal with this issue because the Supreme Court has already agreed to hear the, the Maine and Colorado decisions we're going to wait on their decision. There's no use rushing this. Right. But in that case, you know, Trump basically says, well, she's a Democrat, um, so she must be against me. And, you know, every prosecutor probably, well, maybe <laughs> maybe more and more people are going to be declaring themselves independent when they look at the political situation. But everybody's going to have a point of view. That doesn't right. necessarily mean you're prejudiced against an individual uh a person that person that you're prosecuting, but it's it's a it's a fascinating development here. Yeah, it is, and and I go back to my time in the prosecutor's offices. Um, I had I was in two different offices in Virginia, and there were and even outside of my prosecution, when I was on the defense, there were multiple um, rumors of affairs between prosecutor among prosecutors, multiple you know two prosecutors or prosecutors and police officers. And what most of the offices would do, especially between officers and prosecutors, is they would not let them work on the same case. They would say, you know what, we we know you're both professional. We know you both have, you know, good reputations. We don't believe you're lying. We don't believe you're lying. But in the effort to remain completely impartial, we are going to put this detective with a different attorney and this attorney with different detectives. They would just remove any appearance of impropriety so when the detective was testifying, they wouldn't get caught up on cross-examination of, well, aren't you dating the prosecutor? Um, So that there would be, in the jury's mind, even if there wasn't impropriety, the jury would be thinking, wait a minute. 
So is there a conspiracy between the prosecutor and the detective or the two prosecutors who are here in the same courtroom? Um, so I think that is what it goes to is more toward credibility issues. Instead than- of ethical, actual right. ethical issues, it's the appearance. I mean, isn't that look at me now for getting my professional responsibility, co- you know, codes. But like, that's a, that's a thing that they talk about is like, if it seems, even if it's not inappropriate, this is probably for judges and not attorneys, actually, it's if it seems inappropriate, avoid it. Even if it's not, because the appearance matters, the, the trust in the institution matters, the, that is important to the whole process. And so if you can avoid doing things that look sketchy, even if they're not, let's not. Right? bring up one other yeah. issue please let's let's finish it out okay so we've talked about this before but there are investigations right now as to whether to impeach Joe Biden right why because maybe his son conducted some illegal activity and maybe if we dig hard enough we can at least embarrass him right right and we we're going to impeach Mayorkas and this actually goes back to the mm-hmm. Chevron doctrine oh interesting. Be, be, if you think about it, because Mayorkas, he's an appointee mm. to Joe Biden. You're right. And administrators, like prosecutors, tip, make decisions every day. You know, we're not going to we're going to go after heroin and opium, but mm. we're not going to bother as much with marijuana or cocaine, yeah, or mm-hmm. or whatever. And presumably, Mayorkas is carrying out the policies of. Joe Biden and or the Congress. And if the president doesn't think he's enforcing the law or Mm -hmm. he's not enforcing it the way the president wants, the president has the power to fire him. Right. So meanwhile, you have a U.S. senator from New Jersey where they have found gold bars. Oh, that's right. In his in his possession that have been linked to foreign governments. More than one, it now turns out. What are the what are the reasons to, to impeach someone? Bribery, treason, both could be involved here, but with a foreign country, for, right. obviously, and high crimes and misdemeanors, which basically means abuse of official authority, criminal mm-hmm. or otherwise. Um, it seems to me, if you want to talk about impeaching someone, you got a prime candidate here. And again, right. that being said. I don't know enough. I mean, I, I I know it doesn't pass the smell test when somebody breaks into your house and you have dozens of gold bars or however many it is. From but other countries. if you right. want an impeachable offense, that would be, it sounds like it's bribery if they can trace it as they claim they can uh, back. And right, one other thing in the event of the, of the day. Yeah, this has been a really it. big week for legal it issues. Has, okay. Very big week. So finally... After over a year, we get 400 and some, 50 some or more pages which say, yes, the public instinct is right when you have dozens is of this Virginia? armed, oh, okay, no. trained Evolving. law enforcement oh, on Evolving. the scene. Yes, thank you. And a shooter has shot children and they're bleeding to death that somebody dropped the ball. And the the shame of this is apparently, had it not been for a local, I believe it's the mayor, mm-hmm. who took this to federal courts, the governor doesn't want to have anything to do with it. You know, this is Texas. 
Texas. Law enforcement territory. Yeah, Texas is supposed to be, you know, you take no hostages. Uh, we're the big man on the block. Don't this mess with Texas. Shameful. That's right. What? Yeah. Don't mess with don't Texas. Don't mess with Texas, right? Yeah, like, don't that's mess their catchphrase. Well, but apparently they're, you know, the people who are charged to serve and protect. did mess with them. Yeah. You know, and get some accountability. A lot of these people Absolutely. are still in place. Right. And, you know, to, to go to, and I know you've had this hypothetical, uh, and maybe it's changed, but I don't think it is. If I saw a child drowning mm. in a pond, yeah. I could walk by, I could sit and watch and as that person drowned, and in most states, I would not be culpable. There's no affirmative duty to act. Right. Absolutely. But if I am a police officer or a fireman, Correct. I have accepted a duty. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I breach that duty if I allow something like that to happen. And yeah. this, you know, just listening to some of these parents today, this is outrageous that no one wants to take responsibility. And right. I, I would be ash- I would be ashamed to be one of those police officers. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. They should resign. But I hope I would have the courage to say, hey, I screwed up. I'm not as brave as I thought I should be, as I was. I'm going to find another profession. I'm sorry. And it sounds to me like that's something that the parents have yet to hear from anybody. Yeah. And this is is one of those cases where, you know, it helps that there are civil, federal civil rights laws in place and that you can bring in an outside body when locals seem to be willing just to cover this up. It, it really is outrageous. And, and I mean, it, yeah. it, it's not just outrageous. It, 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 you just think about how you would feel if one of your own children had been, you know, if the word came back that, you know, they bled out for half an hour while the police were standing by, you know, bring, bringing in more, you know, bringing in reinforcements against one person. Yeah. It's yeah. a sad day. I mean, they had, I don't, when all of this happened, I mean, there's video footage of parents trying to go in and them arresting the parents, yeah. um, which was horrific enough when it first happened to watch that. Yeah. But then it's it's just so like beyond. And the fact that they're still in their jobs to me is horrific. How is that not, isn't that your job? Like your job is re- to respond to it appropriately. You well, did not. Can you not be fired for failure to complete duties? Like it's in the scope of your job description. Um, but apparently, like you said, the locals don't feel like they need to fire the officers who did it and they don't have enough um, internal moral fortitude to resign themselves. I'm totally in agreement that they should. And I'm horrified that they haven't. Remember the case in Florida, what was the school there? Um, Oh goodness! Double name. It was uh, an elementary school, right? And I don't was think that, so. That, um, but remember, there there was a sorry. picture of the police officer who showed up and ran the other direction. Yeah, the school resource officer. I, mean, I, I don't know that I'm, you know, w- w- would want to confront somebody, but I would hope, I would hope with a little bit of training that I would have enough responsibility to know that's my job. You know, it's something, Douglas. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah, and it my, is. And my, I, I, I don't know why I'm blanking on it. But. Right. And my husband's a former police officer. Um, he patrol officer for over a decade. And what he's told me is he's like, you know, I went to work every day knowing it could be my last. And that's yeah. what I chose to do is I chose to put myself at risk so that others weren't at risk. 
And if I hadn't accepted it, I shouldn't have been in the job. And there were so many days that, I mean, the the circumstances he's explained to me of the things that he saw on a day-to-day basis, some were extremely mundane, right? But on the days where it counts like this, he's like, I can't imagine not running into the school not doing something to help because that is your duty is your it, it's like look at 911 how many police officers and firefighters ran into the buildings absolutely well and you had people on the plane headed mm-hmm. to DC who stormed the cockpit knowing i mean i guess it was going to be certain death pretty much e- either way uh, but they you know they could have given themselves another hour or two if they had just sat in their seats right but um, you do your job. You do the job that you've been hired to do and that you've stood up and said, I'm honored to do to protect and to serve other people and to sacrifice myself as ne- if necessary. Not like anybody should have been sacrificed. And I, I, you know, we don't know what ultimately would have happened, but there's a level of expectation of sacrifice in order to protect others. Well, and particularly, I mean, Children. in fairness, I don't. I have not yet read this report, mm-hmm. and it's possible that some of the police officers outside were told to stay outside, uh, and you know may not have had complete information. But th- it, it seems like the state of Florida, from the governor on down, has been far more anxious to cover it up than they have to expose wrongdoing. Mm-hmm. It looks like like we've lost Chelsea there. So a good time to wrap it up. Um, Thank you both for being here. And Chelsea, I know you've dropped off. For those of you who are listening and watching, uh, maybe she'll pop back on for the end. Um, But thank you, Dr. Vile. Thank you, Chelsea. Glad to have both of you on today. And uh, don't forget to look at our um, new website, thelawinscripted.com, which hosts our podcast, as well as new law school and bar examination preparation classes. Um, So for law students, especially who are looking to to figure out evidence, to figure out torts, to figure out your basic classes, hone their skills, figure out how to answer them specifically and, and in a more perfect manner on their law school exams and on their bar exams. Check us out there. Um, also click like and subscribe so that you can follow us for our next Legal Weekly Wine and our other podcast. And we will catch you next time on the Legal Weekly Wine.